Welcome to Success Authority's Conversation Street with Leadership Authority, Peter Beaumont, and with Business Culture Authority, Ron Lehman, and me, Linda Ruland, Success Authority's founder. There's some people that are a lot more intentional and start things with a, a plan that they want to grow a bigger company takes probably both a certain amount of maybe experience and mindset to start with or or parents that have helped get the ball rolling. So you're not starting at home plate that you're already on second or third base. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or out. So Dave, this is the guy we were telling you about. Uh Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. (laughs) Uh-oh. I hate to think what it was that you were talking about. We'll press on. We'll, we'll reek. It'll come up. I'm sure. So what I'd like to do first, Dave, is you to give Peter and Ron, especially a a brief bio, how you arrived where you are today and and what you're doing today versus um, how you got into business in the first place. And we'll keep it short and sweet so we can move into the meaty questions and conversations that this episode is going to fulfill. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, I guess I was fortunate to grow up on a farm, so um, and my dad approached things more from a business standpoint, uh, whether I realized it at the time or not. Um, I was one of seven, so he uh, and the oldest, so he persuaded us that farming wasn't the best option. Uh, so I have a, got a mechanical engineering degree, but pretty quickly moved into the business side by getting an MBA. Uh, worked at the GM financial staff for. Um, probably three or four years, enough to see there might be some issues there that weren't being attended to. Uh, was fortunate that I had a connection with Hewlett-Packard uh, and um, basically um, used that connection and found an opening in San Diego, at one of their divisions that actually had some value on mechanical engineering. Spent close to 10 years there um, with a division that uh, provided uh, Initially, it was pen plotters, but then grew into uh, more uh, um, raster devices for computer-aided design systems. So it was uh, uh, HP was a, a great company, but my wife and I wanted to return to the Midwest to raise our kids in civilization, as I tell people. So we moved back uh, to the Midwest and um, ended up settling in Indiana, where we owned a uh, the largest independent bookstore in Indiana for about 10 years. Um, Concluded competing with Amazon wasn't the best long-term strategy. So (laughs) I moved into the merger and acquisition world and have done that the last uh, 20 years now. But Dave, when, when, when you're, when people come to you um, to talk about a possible merger acquisition, um, what are what are the driving forces that bring them to that decision that they need to get your help? Okay, uh, you, there are two groups I work with. Um, one are those that are looking to sell, and those are typically older owners that um, um, might be in their fifties, but more likely in their sixties or you know, maybe even early seventies, and you know, conclude that it's uh, time to move on. Um, often. Uh, if they're um, 
know, easily half of businesses are family businesses, but often the kids aren't interested in mom and dad's business for a long list of reasons. Um, the other group I work with are younger owners, probably in the 45, maybe 50 age group that are looking to grow uh, partially by acquisition. They have the benefit of probably having 20 years to benefit from an acquisition before they move into that first group, uh, you know, potentially looking to sell or you know, possibly uh, having their kids get involved. And and when these clients come to you, um, how do you describe the differences? If they come to you and say, well, we need a growth strategy, how do you describe the differences between uh, or the opportunities between a merger versus an acquisition? Um, most of what I'm doing, I would call a, probably a, an acquisition that you know, there's one clear um, buyer um, that's you know, buying the company and typically the prior owner is looking to, to exit. Um, so what I do would be 99% um, falls into the acquisition category. Oh, a merger kind of implies a joining of equals, and um, I um, I can't think of a case I, where I've actually been involved with that. So you know, it's all on the uh, acquisition side. You know, those numbers are probably fairly close to reality, even when organizations call it a merger. There's almost one, almost always one group that's a little bit more. Um, more equal than the other. And mm -hmm. what may be portrayed as a merger usually ends up looking more like an acquisition. Yeah, it's hard to have more than one chief in the in the kitchen. Yeah. Uh, and unless it's a, you know, a much bigger organization where there's room for that or you know, something's going to operate maybe as almost a separate subsidiary that lends itself. But if they're very closely tied together um you know typically one group uh is going to uh, kind of win out over the other and uh, you know not through any necessarily malicious intent but just kind of through the reality that people are more comfortable with those that they know the best and dave how often when you do evaluation for a company do the owners meet you with some surprise in terms of what you project or calculate versus what they thought their company was worth? Oh, um, that's a good question. I um, haven't necessarily thought of a percentage, but you know, part of what I try to do is educate the owners to show them how evaluation is developed so they understand that this isn't just number pulled out of the air, but it's based on you know what's um, there are a couple of different metrics. You know, there can be a sales metric, but the more useful ones are profit-based. So basically, okay, yeah, this is the, I compare it to activity versus accomplishment. You know, profit is the accomplishment and it's important that it be sustained. Uh, buyers, you know, the perception of risk is vastly different whether you're a buyer or a seller. A seller sees no risk at all. Um, a buyer often can see all kinds of risk. Um, so helping the seller understand, okay, yeah, this is you know, what my business looks like from a, you know, a financial perspective that we've either consistently gone up or we've bounced up and down. So 
Well, the, the direction may not be as clear. Um, so first helping them see that. And then um, I use um, a database that has about 40,000 um, sales transactions and narrow it down to their industry and their size of company to help them see, okay, it's kind of like doing comparables on, on, on home sales, saying, okay, these are all the houses like yours and this is what they sold for. So that I, I found that that helps a lot that you know, if the owners kind of understand, okay, this is the basis. Uh, but you know there's still um, um, there's the standing joke that with the owners that see all the potential that well, a new owner could do all these things um, for for the buyer or those of us that are helping with selling the business, uh, oh, the thought always crosses our mind. If it was so easy to do, then you should have done it and you would have gotten benefit from it. Um, you know, again, it's always easier to think you can do certain things than to you know, actually accomplish those. Where people approach you, are they really in the right mindset to, to move a, a company forward? And how do you bring them along with that process or even determine if they're ready to sell? I'm, I'm wondering um, even if they always are. Okay. Well, one good sign is if they're crying in my office, they're probably not ready to sell, which has happened a few times. Um, oh, it, one helpful thing is if the uh, seller is thought through, okay, what is it that I want to do in the next stage of my life? You know, whether it's, grandkids are traveling um for those that want to play golf that usually lasts for a month or two maybe and they get bored um but you know if someone's done some serious thinking um you know sometimes people have had health issues and it dawns on them that uh, i'm not actually going to live forever um many owners don't necessarily come to that realization um but uh, if someone has thought through what they want to do next so that they're going to something versus just leaving you know what they may have spent 20 or 30 years doing um that makes me a lot more confident that uh that they're really going to move ahead and uh you know not get a good offer and then decide well I don't really want to sell uh, part of my job is to um, not waste other people's time by making sure that the you know, the seller really is at that point and that uh, that they've also talked to the other people that get impacted um, by the sale, whether it's their spouse or you know, other you know, family members, whatever. You want everyone on the same page and ready to move ahead. And, and to a certain extent, the employees, too, I would imagine, because... Um, tend to be a lot of fear in those situations that sometimes yeah. is fact-based and sometimes isn't. Yeah. You know, the challenge with employees, um, they, they remember all the bad stories they've heard. So with the, the size de deals that I do, usually it's best not to inform the employees until things are you know pretty much done. Uh, typically there might be a couple higher level people that are important to the transaction, but it's, um, it's really hard to reinsure the employees that, hey, everything's going to be wonderful because they remember all the stories they've heard from their buddies that, oh, such and such company got sold and they were told that everyone would have a job and 
that's not what happened. Um, you know, even though those might be the minority of cases, those are um, the, the situations that get talked about by far the most. And you know, in some ways, it's almost unfair to the employees because um, you know, the deal isn't done till it's done. There are all kinds of issues that can come up that can derail something that looks like it's you know, should be smooth sailing. There can be financing issues or something's changed in the business or the you know, buyers had a change in their situation. Um, you know, so in general, um, most of the, the deals I'm involved with, uh, you know, I, uh, strongly advise the the sellers not to you know, talk to the employees until you know, something's really definitive. And it's also important to ideally have the the buyer be one of the you know, first parties that talk to the employees as well. And everything that they you know, all their actions are much more important than their words to, mm -hmm. to reinforce that. Yeah, it, it's so. so Dave, you talked about two groups, group one being looking to sell. They're probably older, um, probably got into it, as we call it, as a lifestyle business, as a, uh, you know, as, a, as opposed to legacy, probably. They've just carried on doing it because that's what they're good at and they enjoy. Um, no real strategy for exit, but suddenly it's like, oh. <laughs> so uh, whereas your first, second group, um, far more around legacy building growing do they do you find that they've worked out the question they've worked out that they're going to um purchase based on what they're already doing so vertically integrate if you like or are they or are they trying to diversify as a percentage where do they fall normally yeah, with the those that I work with, the the vast majority are kind of staying within the related areas. You know, they might be adding, um, you know, a slightly different business, but it's related to what they're doing. Um, uh, one good example: I was working with a manufacturing company, and they didn't really do um, um, stamping, so they bought a, a smaller company that uh, had presses and you know, mm -hmm. pieces out. Mm -hmm. uh, that way they were able to add that to, uh, uh, they did a lot of uh, welding and, um, CNC work and other things that wasn't stamping related. Um, so the majority would fall into that. You know, the other area is <clears throat> to geographically <clears throat> expand by, you know, doing exactly the same thing, but perhaps, uh, having another location, you know, a hundred miles, um, further away. Right. So they would acquire another company in another area, use their expertise and. Right. Correct. Yeah. You know, you know, as a way maybe of serving, you know, maybe they have a big customer in that area and there's some other bigger customers there. So that would give them a, a better base or they need more space with where they're at at their original location. So there is part of a strategic plan saying, well, you know, we could expand here, but if we buy another location and you know, there's very few things are always a hundred percent plus one way. So yeah. you have to weigh the pros and cons uh, if you're doing that. Do you, 
do you have a checklist for them? You know, like, have you thought about this, 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 or do they come fairly well prepared with their own? Um, I'd say it's um, a combination of the two. Right. Um, you know, it depends a little bit on probably the size of the company and you know, if they're more in the um, the younger <clears throat> buying group, you know, they typically have done more homework and I've mm. uh, talked to more people, just kind of the nature of what they're doing. Um, they're looking at the bigger picture already, probably. Right. Um, so right. they're taking that into account. And you know, somewhere along the line, I hope um, they've probably at least done some thinking about, well, what will their potential exit be 20 years down the road as well? Right. The uh, Ron's farm will qualify around this particular question probably than i am but one one of the things that we all are aware of i think is that uh, a lot of purchases a lot of mergers acquisitions they're normally acquisitions <laughs> tend to uh go wrong because of cultural problems is that something you get involved in at all or uh, uh in general with the the types of deals i do uh, short answer is no uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, there has to be um, you know, typically the buyer and seller have never met each other right. um, when they first get together. Um, it helps if they feel that there's some common bonds there that they can relate to each other. So um, that's, I guess I'd call that a very low level cultural check. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, meeting some of the uh, employees potentially, you know, often, the um, the buyers will do some kind of a tour under the guise of you know maybe a potential customer or yeah, right. uh, there's a whole list of uh, fake uh, identities if you want to view it that you have to come up with because you know employees are smart enough to see visitors and um, sometimes it seems as if they don't have enough to do that they have to generate rumors so. You need to make it uh, easy so that those rumors don't go anywhere. That yeah, this this yeah, this looks like a natural thing that's happening here. But you know, in those tours as well, the buyers typically meet some of the you know the key staff people, and that you know gives them some sense. And something as simple as just looking at what does the uh, whether it's a manufacturing company or some other type of company, what does the business look like when you're walking through it mm. and how do people act? Uh, those are, you know, again, kind of subtle cultural things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not yeah. necessarily a checklist, but I mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> think, you know, most buyers consciously or unconsciously take that into consideration. The undercover boss. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Subversion I, of it. I, I would think you know one of the most obvious cultural um, issues might come up when a when the two businesses are different in terms of one's a family business and one's not, and whatever side each one is on is less matter. But those typically have a little bit different um, culture. Uh, just because of the way they've operated. And when those two come together, um, it can be a challenge on both sides. Has that, have you had experience with those kind of? Yeah, I, you know, I think that's true. Um, um, 
you know, a lot of you know, the, when you say family business, that um, includes a whole very broad range of different animals. You know, you may have a husband and wife that, you know, technically that would be a, a family business. Um, you may have you know, a multi-generational family that say if they're in the third or fourth generation, you may have lots of family members. Um, that's a much different animal than if you are basically in a first generation family business. Um, but you know, that, that does have you know, some impact and uh, there aren't, unfortunately the, the census bureau doesn't cr collect statistics on how many, what is it, how many family businesses there are. And, and part of that is, um, there's such a range of definitions of what a family business is. Yeah. Um, that it take quite a bit of work to have some clear definitions before you try to do that survey. But most sources I've run into and in just my own personal experience would say, you know, probably easily half of businesses are fall somewhere within that spectrum of being family businesses. I um, saw a, a study a while ago that said 80 to 90% of businesses fall there. And if you just look at, you know, sheer number of businesses and not size wise, that could possibly be true that it's that high of a percentage. If you're just thinking about husband and wife or, you know, father and son, maybe, or, um, or a couple brothers potentially. I think there's some hybrids too that are on that spectrum where it may have been started by one generation and maybe the next generation had sort of active participation. Um, but then as you move through that, sometimes there's an expectation on the family side, either that the family members will go into the business or on the other side that, um, there'll be a place for me in the business always. And then along comes an acquisition and, you know, there's rumors among the family. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversation Street. For more information or to schedule a private conversation with success authorities, email us at inquire at successauthorities.com.